0: I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all.
1: Way back and
0: gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game for game. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Ball. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey, everybody. I just sounded like Mel Allen there. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Touch'em All podcast. How about that? How about though those Phil and Derek guys who touch all of them every week? Um, before we dive into a bunch of different topics, we can talk a little bit about uh, Byron Buxton's resurgence at the plate by drawing two walks. Yeah, resurgence. Uh, in uh, last night's game, we're recording this on on a Tuesday. We can talk about uh, the new Forbes team valuation list that have come out and where the twins may be in payroll going forward. But we first have to award our first ever Touch 'em all Twins Trivia Challenge winner from last week. The question was and I let's see if I can even remember the question. It was um, <laughs> name the two twins first round draft pick pitchers since nineteen ninety yeah. to win at least fifty major league games in their career anywhere. So it could be twins or somewhere else. And
1: congratulations to Andrew Ludke, who
0: won by answering correctly
1: that Matt Garza And Mark Redman are the only two pitchers in my lifetime, Phil, who were drafted in the first round and went on to win 50 games in the major
0: leagues. That's pretty incredible. That's some pretty aggressively bad drafting by the Twins when it comes to pitchers. And I
1: think that was the point of your question, right? Because Kyle Gibson was a first-round draft pick. And funny thing that he's still really struggling so far. He's given up a home run in every single start. And in one of them? Two home runs. Yeah, we
0: dove into him quite a bit in the bonus episode, which you may or may not have uh, checked out already on the Touch 'Em All feed. We dove into that on the Mackey and Judge show. So, if you want more, pretty much putting Kyle Gibson's career to bed is what I did. Like when you're 29 and a yeah. half years old, you're done. You sort it. of, you sort of are what you are. 100 plus starts in the big leagues, and same problems persist. Yeah.
1: So, Andrew, we'll reach out to you. You'll be getting an email from us, and you'll get the Brian Dozier bobblehead. It's uh, last season's bobblehead, but that one. You know, he hit 42 home runs, so it must have been—it must have done something right.
0: Uh, so, on to this week's. I don't know if we're gonna do this every week, but we have some stuff in our prize closet to give away, and so we're gonna do this again this week another touch em all twins trivia challenge and explain to the listeners what we have to give away this week A do car no I'm just kidding um we have and a... you get a car and you get a car <laughs> well I was and doing we're both fired I was we doing <laughs> just gave away a bunch of cars on the company's dime.
1: Yeah, well, I was doing prices right I think you're doing Oprah I'm Winfrey. doing Oprah yeah <laughs> I think I... Two slightly different shows, but I definitely watched both of them when I was homesick from school. Uh, no, this is a this is actually better than a new car. Depending on which new car you're getting, this is a Torrey Hunter twins bobblehead. This was from his Hall of Fame induction, and I'm gonna be honest with this, Phil. I, we didn't pre-plan this, but I'll just speak from the heart here. It doesn't look a lot like Torrey Hunter. Will you look at the face on that bobblehead? I well, like
0: it that what he's doing looks like yeah. Torrey Hunter. He's, so he's jumping
1: ro- and robbing a home run. He's taking a home run back over the center field wall, and in that you can tell it's definitely Torrey Hunter. But look look at the face. You know what it on- looks like? I was gonna say Hold
0: on, let's both say it at the same time. Okay, so look again. Um three two one say who it looks like. Three three, two, one, Adrian Beltra. <laughs> It does kind of look like Christian there Guzman. Is, some Guzman is there it possible too. they had some leftover Christian Guzman <laughs> bobbleheads from 10 years ago and they just repurposed it? No, because he's at the center field wall. And uh, Christian Guzman probably not
1: going into the Twins Hall of Fame.
0: Uh, that That's correct. All right. So here is, here, here's the Twins trivia question in a second. It's a Torrey Hunter related trivia question. If you want to win the Torrey Hunter Twins Hall of Fame bobblehead, follow these steps. Answer correctly via email by noon Friday. D Wetmore at fifteen hundred espncom subject line trivia trivia. <laughs> Adrian Beltre. I got to see it. All right, it does okay. right. <laughs> <They're> so-, <laughs> so answer correctly by noon Friday, and we will draw at random from the winners. I believe eleven people got the answer correct last week. Yep. and, uh, and we Andrew was the ready. lucky winner. So you got to get it right for one, and then you got to get lucky for uh, for number two. Uh, at D-, D. Wetmore at 1500 com by noon Friday, and here's the question. Which pitcher did Torrey Hunter homer off of the most often in his career? Which pitcher did Torrey Hunter hit the most home runs off of in his career, including the postseason? And I was going to ask— Including the postseason. Not—
1: his Twins career, you mean his Major League career, right? Yes. So all 19 of those seasons.
0: His Major League career from 1998 through 2015, okay. he took one pitcher the deepest, the most <laughs> the most often.
1: I wonder if there's another pitcher who he's actually <laughs>
0: taken the deepest. Like he just hit... You know, a like, handful of 500-foot home runs. <laughs> yeah. uh, like he only he only hit a few home runs off of uh, Derek Lowe, but they were all 600-foot yeah, yeah. shots. Well, he I'm looking at his bobblehead here. They've got his career stats. And the photo,
1: I will say, the photo on the box looks an awful lot like Torrey Hunter because it's Torrey Hunter. Uh, on this, it, they've got his career stats, and he hit 353 home runs. That's That's a lot.
0: Uh, it is so. An- answer correctly. D. Wetmore at fifteen hundred espncom dot com will draw at random and uh, submit by noon on Friday for your chance to win. I know Boom. you were you were at the games and not listening to the TV broadcast, Bad. but I was uh, I was doing a little bit of both over the weekend. Yeah. And I thought Tory Hunter did three games in the booth with Dick Bramer, and aside from just sort of never having done it before and getting used to a producer in your ear and laying out points within uh, the constraints of pitches and innings, he was great. He told stories he I think his best value along with just being personable and energetic and he's just he's an engaging entertaining guy in general and he's able to talk for hours on end. He was able to pinpoint based on pitcher tendencies and and him knowing Justin Verlander and some of the other pitchers what was coming and and why it was coming Hmm and what he would do if he were Byron Buxton. And then, of course, he was working. You saw him working with Byron Buxton in a suit over the weekend. Yeah, that was so pretty funny. I don't know if he's ever going to want to do this full-time because if he wanted to do more broadcasting, I think he could have national deals lined up all uh, over the place. Yeah, So it might just be kind of an experimental thing for him. But I thought he was awesome, and I hope they bring him back multiple times throughout the season.
1: I talked with Tori in spring training. Actually, I was doing – I don't know if we talked about this. I was doing like a, a freelance piece for the Twins yearbook. They would do an annual – Annual, hey, Twins 2017 season yearbook or whatever. And they asked if I'd do a piece on Tory Hunter, LaTroy Hawkins, and Michael Kadire. I was very flattered to get that request. And I got to talk to Torrey about, you know, not so much the playing career, not so much the how are you going to help Byron Buxton, but I'm interested in you, man. What are you trying to get out of this role? Why would you take this role, basically? I mean, I, I softballed a little bit more than that. But you won't be surprised to hear that he was excellent in his answer. He's always been a good media guy and that's not here what I'm here to praise him for. I'm here to relay his his answer. And it's two parts for him because one he kind of didn't know what he was going to do after baseball. So he sort of he's looking for that. Uh the, the first part I guess is that he does feel a connection to the Twins and wants to help that next generation of young players come up. He said uh he said, they're basically paying me to relay wisdom, and if you know anything about wisdom, it's just healed pain. <laughs> and I loved that. Sure, I, was, okay, I yeah. used that right away. He said, "He said if you go through pain, and I played 19 seasons in the big leagues, Latroy played whatever it was, 20 seasons in the big leagues, Kadir, handful of seasons too, they've gone through pain. Now, if you don't learn anything from that pain, you have no wisdom, you can't pass anything on. But if you've healed from that pain and learned to overcome it, like the three of them did, Torrey especially, I think, but Latroy, you don't last that many seasons, no matter how athletically gifted you are, no matter what kind of shape you're in, you don't pitch till you're 42 in the big leagues by mistake. And Kadair is an interesting case, because he sort of like reinvented himself as a hitter in the final couple seasons of his career. In fact, I think he's, he's said on the record that like, if I knew the things that I know now, when I was a younger hitter, I think he would have had flat out a better career. And that's yeah, I feel that true. way
0: about ninth grade Mickey Mantleball, too. Yeah, like, especially exactly. if I could still face ninth grade pitchers. <laughs> right. If I was my Man. size. Wait, I'm as big as I was in ninth grade.
1: That wouldn't <laughs> work. But the second part about Torrey Hunter, anyway. So the, the passing on healed pain, that was interesting. But number two, and the same was true of Latroy Hawkins. They're looking. This is kind of like an internship for them. Like. It's a well-paid internship, and it's a very visible position. But they're in an industry that they haven't really been a part of. Like They've been tangentially related to it, but they haven't been in a front office. So now what's this role like? What's the day-to-day work structure? How fulfilling is it? Do I like doing this? Would I rather be scouting? Are there other jobs in baseball that I could see myself doing uh, that I just don't know about right now because I haven't been in the weeds on this side of the fence? So they're getting in on that other side of the fence, and that to me was the most interesting insight I pulled from some of those interviews yeah, in spring. I,
0: I just thought it was such an interesting juxtaposition, Tory Hunter having done a game or two in the broadcast booth, having having played this long, memorable career, and then while standing in his TV clothes, a suit st- – early batting practice for Byron oh, Buxton right. watching him with Paul Molitor. So he's like, he's literally wearing two hats or two suits. He's, mm-hmm. he's about to go do a game, but he's also employed by the twins right. to help fix things like Byron Buxton's swing. And he's down there hitting balls off a tee. And, uh, and, and we, and we can talk about that in just a second. But yeah, I think for Tori, if he wanted to add value as a coach in some way mm-hmm. or an advisor to a front office, he's already showing you that he can do that. Um, I just wonder with some of those players who've made crazy, life-changing money. Burt Blylevin made decent money compared to the rest of society in the 70s and 80s, but he didn't make $10 million or $15 million a year money like the Tory Hunters and some of the other players in, in, in all sports today. Do you really have to be working every day as a broadcaster or or an advisor or a coach is your drive there if you've already made generational money mm-hmm. to get on the grind and and do something on a daily basis. And that's where we're kind of entering a lot of these players who from the 90s to the 2000s who first started making the crazy money in the NBA in Major League Baseball. We're about to find out just how much they want to grind after they right. just got done grinding for, you know, 15 or 20 years. Well, for and the 500 million. Exactly.
1: And the the other point on that, and Tori didn't make 500 million, but definitely in the what is it? I'm trying to count all the number of figures. I'll never know. I'll never have to know this for my own personal life, but he's made in the I'll bet you it's, I'll bet you it's over, way over $200 million, So nine right? figures. And that doesn't even count endorsements. And- nine figures, right? Not ten figures. Ten figures would be a billion. He didn't make that, but he made nine figures. Bryce Harper might make a billion dollars. Yeah, it's possible uh, when you count endorsements and stuff too. Uh,
0: Tory made, yeah, Tory made one hundred seventy-one million dollars no. in just player salary during his career, and however much more in in endorsements. Yeah, too, plus
1: so. he did those Spider-Man commercials, so
0: yeah. was, and the Get to Know Him campaign.
1: <laughs> he got wealthy. Did you smell
0: him, or he, was he gone? No, two thousand six. He did. Smell he would have been too. there. Yeah.
1: Mike Redmond, I think Redmond got most of the royalties for those checks. But no, I Anyway, the the point that I would make I, that some people. Um, that are in, you know, the same tax bracket as you and I and not the same tax bracket as Tory Hunter would say, yeah, but it's once you've made that kind of money, it's not really about the money anymore. It's kind of about fulfillment and what you're doing. Like, how do you if you just stop working and stop going out of your house because you technically you don't have to do that. Like, That might be fun for a long weekend, and then you get to week two of it, and you're bored, and you're driving yourself stir-crazy, and you don't know what to do anymore. So some people would say, well, it's not about the money. He might just want to be a consultant for fulfillment or just to have something to do. And it's possible, but also consider that when you've done what Tori's done and when you have the skill set that Tori has, I've contended that if he wasn't a baseball player, he would be a CEO in another company. He just has that – Gravity. You listen when Tory Hunter talks, and this is coming from somebody. I think I've talked about this on the podcast. I'm universally skeptical skeptical of charismatic people. We've talked about you've made fun of me for this before. I know Judd has made fun of you. Anti PJ Fleck? No, no. Um, I mean, I think he has a shtick. But I think he owns that shtick. See, I love charismatic and I'm an, and I'm a
0: natural introvert, which is weird for a radio host. Right, yeah. I mean, I would I would rather be sitting in silence, like for the three hours after my show, uh, you know, just doing whatever I want, yeah. than engaging in more conversation. Yeah. I just got done talking for four hours, right. but I but I still really like to be around charismatic, yeah. outgoing, extroverted people.
1: Well, and once you,
0: I mean, that's the same for me. Like
1: once you learn that they are trustworthy and they're not putting on a show. Well, then that's fine. Then I love being around those kinds of people. But my first instinct is, is he pulling a fast one on me? Right? So with Torrey Hunter, that's what I thought because, keep in mind, I didn't cover him in his first tour to Minnesota. So I only had the secondhand stories and stuff like that. And then he comes back, and my first instinct is, okay, but no one's that charismatic. Like nobody has that many friends, and nobody actually remembers all the security guards, Nate. Yep. Nope. I was wrong. He's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tory Hunter is that charismatic. He would be a business leader, and that's the point that I was getting to. Is that if he doesn't want to do the whole baseball thing, he wouldn't have to. Like he can do. He could just be an investor. Tory Hunter, if he just wanted to, you know, you said what he made one hundred and seventy million dollars. So after taxes, we're talking he's probably got ninety million in the bank. But he, you know, he probably bought a nice house and got some cars. And stuff. He's probably still sitting on tens of millions of dollars, and. Even if you spend lavishly, you can so easily retire on $10 million like and your family is set for life and the next generation is set too, and you just hope that they don't piss away that money. So you can take the rest of it if you want to and just be like a startup entrepreneur and be like, hey, I'll make 100 bets a year on upstart tech companies and one of them is going
0: to become twitter i mean that's pretty much what guys like ashton kutcher do right i mean he made a bunch of money oh, in, i didn't know that. In, okay. in acting and he's he's a super prominent investor in startup companies i think he was an early investor in hmm. uh, snapchat okay. and instagram so anyways like we're getting a little off track projecting tory hunter's like <laughs> yeah, bi- business right. ventures i know which i know he's active in yeah um i'm just to switch over to the byron buxton side of this sure. i'm Very curious to see how his work in the past week at home during the homestand, where he sat twice during games Mm -hmm. and worked a lot during early batting practice, you and I saw him at like 2 o'clock, 5 hours before a night game, I think it was a week ago, hitting 20 minutes worth of batting practice, Mm -hmm. all of it to the right of second base. Mm -hmm. Torrey Hunter and Paul Molitor overseeing him during a tee session in which he's hitting everything, you saw this, to the right of second base. Mm -hmm. I think you saw some baby steps in the game last night, the first game in the Texas series, and now people might listen to this, and there might be another game under our belts. And maybe he went zero for four with four strikeouts, or three for four with two doubles and a triple. Like we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. So what I'm about to say might not be relevant. in I'm going to guess minutes. it's the first one, but you go ahead. <laughs> but he he looked different at the plate in the sure. first Texas game than he did in the first two and a half weeks, letting the ball travel deeper into the zone. He almost hit a home run. He, he peppered the right field foul pole with a mm-hmm. line drive that went about 10 feet to the right of it, mm-hmm. um, and he walked twice and saw more pitches, 23 in four at-bats, mm-hmm. than anybody else in the lineup, which is different for him than the rest of the games this year, where he's getting down 0-2 quick, right. he's not hitting the ball to right field and he's certainly not drawing walks. So I think you saw some baby steps in that first game of the Texas series. You see,
1: what I thought you were going to say, does Byron Buxton need to dust off his angel investor cap because he'll be looking for another career at wow. some point soon
0: here? Well, I don't know if you can be an angel investor unless that signing bonus is still sitting in your account somewhere. That's right. What did he make, $5 million <laughs> at the
1: time? He's yeah. probably okay. Um, no, I'm just like I wouldn't. Obviously, I'm being tongue-in-cheek. I wouldn't give up on Byron Buxton. Uh, The one thing that I will say about his quote-unquote signs of progress is uh, pretty – you're damning with faint praise by saying that he took two walks and fouled a ball off as progress. And oh, by the way, he hit a fly ball – slightly over the left fielder's head he had to jog back five steps before he totally caught it.
0: agree and acknowledge yes, yes, the absurdity yes. of, of that praise yes.
1: and and i'll also say you look at the box score and you see two walks great you watch the plate appearances and it was like yeah it looks a little better but there's still a three two fastball down the gut that probably should have been called a strike that he gets ball four on and he flinched he flinched at it. it was like 95 at his belly button it mm-hmm. happened to get called a ball so there you go take your base son Okay, fine. You know, I'm not trying to say that's not progress because at least he was there in full count. At least it wasn't 0-2 and he swung and missed. And then his other walk was another one where it's like a breaking ball but he flinched at it and you just have that quick moment of hesitation. Now, yeah. it is progress because in the first 2 weeks he was swinging through that pitch. Now he's at least, you know, biting his tongue so to speak and not swinging at it. Um I'll be really curious to see if this change, this sort of Um, philosophy where you're trying to hit a line drive to second. We can get in on the pros and cons of the philosophy if you want to. I talked about that in my Facebook video today, but that I'm curious to see whether it's right or wrong, if it works for Buxton, because the primary thing before you even start talking about an approach, you can have an approach if you can't swing and hit a ball, (laughs) fastball, curveball, slider, changeup. If you're not making contact, approach doesn't matter. You can have the best approach in the world. You can be Miguel Cabrera, and if when you get that pitch to hit to really destroy and you swing and miss it, that, all that other stuff goes out the window. That's like teaching calculus to somebody who's yet to learn geometry. There's there's just some like building blocks you need for Buxton. Uh,
0: name-dropping alert here, uh, and, I, and I agree with what he said. We had Keith Law from, from ESPN on our radio show today. He's got a new book out, which is sitting in front of us right now, actually. You might as well give it a plug, because I think it's going to be... I've read a few pages, and it seems like you you had Moneyball 15 years ago, and you had the book, Playing the Percentages in Baseball, and this feels like a similar category where people are going to refer... The book is called Smart Baseball, the story behind the old stats that are ruining the game, the new ones that are running it, and the right way to think about baseball. I think that a publisher wrote that
1: subhead, but that's kind of funny.
0: Sure, but he he went through the first part of the book, and he explained why batting average and RBIs and feeling percentage and some of these back-of-the-baseball-card stats that we've clinged to forever, why those are far less relevant than the mainstream thinks, and why wins above replacement or weighted on base average. Mm-hmm. And, and he talked to different front office people for the book. Anyways, he's a really smart baseball guy. And and Keith Law is has really no emotional connection to the Twins other than he thought Byron Buxton was going to be a stud just like the rest of us. And he said today he's not selling Byron Buxton stock. He still thinks somebody with that much athleticism and crazy talent and ability who's mashed the minor leagues like he has – even with the putrid start, Mm -hmm. still thinks he's going to get going to some degree. Um, But I just think as the the clock ticks, and he's 23, he's not 20 anymore, Mm -hmm. and that's still not very old, but it's also not super young prospect age anymore. The further we go down the line of him struggling and just trying to figure out how to put the bat on the ball, the more you can bring him down notch after notch, yeah. In terms of what his ceiling is. Like there's no way he becomes a league leader in on base percentage at any point in his career, striking out in thirty to forty percent of his plate appearances, right? Yeah, zero percent. Yeah. He can still be he can still be BJ Upton, and that's that's the comp we've been using as maybe a a basement for him the last mm-hmm. couple of years. He can still be a three to five win player with that defensive ability. Until the speed runs out when he's twenty nine or thirty years old, hmm. um, but yeah, I think it, I think it's fair to say both. I think it's fair to say there's signs of life here. I thought there were some signs of encouragement on Monday. I'm not going to sell all my Byron Buxton stock, but based on what we've seen so far in his 500 plate appearances of of major league sample, he ain't going to be what we all hoped a couple years ago.
1: Well, uh, to use to extend the metaphor on Keith Law not selling his Byron Buxton stock. I mean, I'm not either, but I bought so much of it that my portfolio kind of hinges on it. So I'm a little (laughs) nervous right now. That would be like saying after the 2007 housing market crash, I'm not selling my house in January 2008. Of course not. Like even if you're underwater on the mortgage, like
0: you might as if, well wait and see if you can ride the wave up at some point. If right. you can wait, if till, he turns into a great broadcaster someday, then <laughs> if our
1: you can stock will have paid off. Hang on till like 2012 to flip that house instead. I mean, but if you need to sell it, you need to sell it. And the twins aren't in that spot. They're not in a point where that's what people have been asking me. Would you send Buxton to the minor leagues? I've heard people say anything from AAA Rochester to Instructional League, extended spring training, and I say no because you are at once crushing his confidence. Like, And that's fine. There's, there's some of that that's required. Sometimes you need to crush confidence, but it's not like he's this cocky kid walking around strutting his stuff and just striking out all the time. He's really humble, gracious, uh, well-intended, and definitely coachable – player i was i was about to say potential superstar but like the luster on that is fading by the week um i don't think that sending him to the minor leagues is the answer because i don't think that he learns something different in the minor leagues that changes his swing fundamentally and makes him better at making contact
0: yeah if if he's able to go take advantage for a month of guys who aren't good enough to pitch in the major leagues i'm not sure how that helps you figure out The guys who are good enough to pitch in the Major Leagues. And
1: speaking of investment portfolios, I was struck on Sunday thinking about this. How much money the Twins have invested in trying to crack the code for Byron Buxton. You've got Major League hitting coach James in there, who if he fails every other hitter and succeeds at turning Byron Buxton into a superstar, boom, you just paid his contract 50 times over. Torrey Hunter, same deal. I know he's on like this weird... Uh, it's an agreement without a really solid definition, like they would openly admit to that too, the Twins would, I think, that he's going to do some broadcasts. So he's kind of like Twins ambassador and it's good to have him around the ballpark and he's team chemistry guy and he's behind the scenes and he's Byron Buxton's mentor and he's this and this and this and he's scouting and he's helping with free agency and trades and giving his insight. Okay, that's a really long job description. And if he's bad at all of it, and helps Byron Buxton go from unusable bench player to superstar, or some reasonable facsimile. All right, Tory Hunter was worth the investment, and the other guy that was standing in the ball uh, in the uh, batter's box while Byron Buxton was hitting off the tee, Paul Molitor, thirty-three hundred hits in the big leagues. You've heard of him. Uh, there are a lot of people on my timeline that were saying like, doesn't matter if you can hit, if you can't communicate it. Okay. Fair point, And I agree. And if Molitor fails at doing that, then he's probably not the manager for you. But if he succeeds in doing it, he will have been worth it. And, and that's, that's kind of the point that I was getting at with Buxton is that like, he wants it to work out, but you know who wants it to work out even more, and who's willing to spend millions of dollars to make sure that it does work out the twins as an organization, they are going to try to supplement his development and to really do everything that they possibly can to make sure that he succeeds because as Buxton goes, I think so goes the future of the Twins. Yeah,
0: but sometimes I feel like that might be part of the problem too. Then you had Brunansky was a cook in the kitchen for a while, and he's had other coaches throughout the system. Sometimes it feels like when he's taking batting practice and you've got Torrey Hunter and Paul Molitor and two other hitting coaches and, like, a teammate and and, and all All giving their two cents – Hey, I think maybe you should uh, consider this. I want to say that was it Smalley or somebody another like an f s n guy or something uh, um, was watching him hit and how is he able to take five different perspectives and they all might offer you know uh, something similar but something different and filter them to work to a to either a swing or a mindset that worked for him? I would be a little concerned about too many cooks in the kitchen with a guy who Probably just needs to breathe a little bit. Maybe there's a couple small tweaks he can make. And uh, other than that, just clear your head and stop thinking about everything like you've been almost every month but last September in your big league career so far. Hey, this is Ben Gessling, the Vikings beat writer for ESPN. If you're into the Vikings and you're not already listening, make sure you check out the Purple Podcast on 1500 ESPN. Judd Zolgan and I break down the Vikings every week, tell you everything you need to know about the team. You can check us out on Podcast One, iTunes, or 1500ESPN.com. Hey guys, before we continue on with the rest of this Touch'em All podcast, it's Phil Mackey here for all of you Twin Cities area listeners. To tell you about Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard is the location. My family and I have been going to this car dealership and service department for three-plus decades and there's a reason for that. It's the best in the business, the smartest and friendliest people in the business. They'll treat you like family. So find out why my family and I have been going to the same dealership and service department for multiple decades right on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com.
1: A couple of things on that. One If he can't do that, if he doesn't have that like internal ability to listen to what matters and tune out what doesn't, he's not going to make it anyways. That's not your fault as the twins; that's his fault as a player. So I get the too many cooks argument, but the second thing that I'll say on that is that which cooks would you rather have? Like those are the three cooks that I'd hand pick, right? I mean, your major league hitting coach, who you're entrusting with the entire organizational hitting philosophy. And if you pick the wrong guy, well, that's your fault, but that's who you picked. Mm-hmm. Paul Molitor, Hall of Fame hitter, I just mentioned, 3,300 hits. I want him in the room because even if he wasn't the same type of hitter, he knows enough intuitively. Paul Molitor has forgotten more about hitting than you or I could learn in the next five years in this business. Like He just has this savant quality to him as a baseball intellect. Is that is that
0: the right word? I'll go, I'll a savant it. quality as a baseball
1: intellect that's yeah, really like, deep but like intellect is a noun in this case i think it works i'm mm. going to go with it
0: no I, I think
1: i think it'll yeah could it, baseball play. intellectual and then the third person is tory hunter who like how could you possibly have more respect in that clubhouse that young clubhouse than a guy like tory hunter yeah. you've been down there well, you can tell the guys just react differently from a tory hunter to a joe mauer
0: i would say too that paul Molitor was known for this but tory hunter was underrated in in this area Short to the ball, I think a lot of people. Hmm. A lot of people see the successful hitters like the Josh Donaldsons and David Ortiz, and it's the and Bryce Harper, and it's these huge swings, go for with it. tons of velocity and power. And yes, but those are also finished product swings, and those guys are hunting pitches as the best hitters in baseball. But Paul Molitor was also the best hitter in baseball for a while with a totally different approach. He didn't hit a lot of home runs during his career. He was super quick, had some of the fastest hands you'll ever see, had a really short, compact swing, not much of a leg kick, just v- very compact, very still, and quick to the ball, line drives all over the place. Torrey Hunter, too, he he did on in certain situations like breaking balls inside or uh, hitter's counts where he was going to try and hit a three-run homer, would go with that big, long swing, try to pull the ball 500 feet to left field. But with two strikes, or if a pitcher was was pitching him away primarily, he was able to shorten it up, make contact, and hit a ball hard through the right side of the infield or just hit a ball hard for a base hit up the middle mm-hmm. somewhere. And I think that's something that both of those guys, especially Tori Hunter, have been preaching, and Roy Smalley talks about this on our radio show too. Before you can really engage in the power aspect of your game, you got to figure out how to mm-hmm. just make quality contact. And that doesn't mean like choking up halfway on the bat necessarily or or getting rid of the leg kick or bunting. It just means be a little bit more mindful of that two foot area between, you know, where your your bat is coming toward the zone and and where it follows through the zone and just try to put the bat on the ball because if you do, and you saw this over the weekend too, you might even just beat out a ground ball. Sure. And yeah. thus keep your batting average afloat so that you're not In an 0 for 15 slump all the
1: time. Yep, exactly. Well, and the final thing I'll say on the too many cooks argument is that, like, if you have those three people and their only job title, let's just say it was, their only job title is, hey, try and make Byron Buxton a major league hitter. I'll give you April and May to turn this kid into something we can use. Otherwise, you're fired. Well, okay, that's. Obviously an oversimplification of it, but I would want those three people all in the room all at the same time. I don't want James Rousen going into the batting cage with him and saying, hands in, drive the ball to center field. And then Paul Malter calls him into his office after the game and says... Uh, hey, Buck, a couple more strikeouts today. What I really want you to do is be hitting ground balls to third base and just leg them all out. And Tory coming in and saying – Bombs, bro. <laughs> <know>, Tory <laughs> inviting him out to dinner and saying like, hey, what all those other people are saying, don't listen to it. Just do what you need to do, man. You know what's in your heart and just do it. Hit whatever, whatever Tory's advice would be, line drives, I don't know. Uh, it's possible that those three have sort of disparate philosophies on how they would make him into a big league hitter, but – I want those three to be spoken out loud in the presence of the other two. I want James Rousen to reveal his philosophies while Paul Molitor is sitting right there so that if Paul Molitor has any beef with what he's saying, it's a very short feedback loop. It's instantaneous, and he could say, well, hold on. Will that approach, that keeping your hands inside the ball, isn't that a little outdated? And would that even work for a guy like Byron Buxton who might never be a great bat control guy even at his peak? Shouldn't we consider da 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 da? da that, okay, now we're having a conversation. Now there's something that we can talk about and really build off of. The too many cooks argument for me falls apart when you trust those three cooks to figure this out. And if they can't figure it out together, well, then you hired the wrong people or Buxton's not the right guy. Yeah, it's and, as simple as and that. A lot
0: of it's regardless of who the cooks are, or how many there are. A lot of it's just going to be on Buxton to sort of be an athlete and figure it out. So in, in this in the case, moment. it's on the meal. <laughs> yes you know it's saying. on the steak okay hey, cook yourself hey be a prime sirloin man medium well <laughs> just would, would be great medium even we would take at this point um something else before we wrap up and i know we, there's a lot of pitching things we can get into i know you wanted to get into like the four man rotation they have well, right now but that might just sort of play itself out we can react next week to- i
1: will give you four names before we get off this podcast okay. four guys that i would slide in there and The conversation will change next week, and then it'll change the week after that, and we can update it. But I've got four guys I'm looking at for that fifth spot.
0: Okay. Um, Before we dive into that, Forbes has released its annual team valuation list. Oh, goody. And it's amazing to see the teams at the top of this list. I remember when the Yankees surpassed the $2 billion mark for the first time, like a few years ago. Well, the Yankees are number one on the team valuation list at $3.7 billion now. Which is a full billion dollars more than the Dodgers and the Red Sox, which are number three. Um, The Cubs are at $2.675 billion. Giants in that same ballpark. The Twins are at 22 on this list. Okay. At just over a billion dollars team valuation, which is exactly where they ranked in team payroll heading into the year as well. 22? 22nd in team payroll, 22nd in team valuation. I don't want to get into a huge, because we're already a half hour into this episode, so we don't need to dive into a huge uh, payroll discussion for a team that isn't focused at all on... that. This this is a, a learning year, as they say. It's not max out the payroll year. So so I, that, that's probably a conversation for another day. Um, but I do think seeing them, even with a new ballpark, at 22nd on this list, just behind... Baltimore, Arizona, San Diego, just ahead of Colorado, Kansas City, Miami, and Milwaukee, and Cleveland, and Cincinnati. Um, it it validates the notion that they're not going to be operating ever in the top ten in payroll. They're not really... I know fans fans think, well, because, hey, they built a new ballpark and we were promised increase in payroll. Well, number one, they did. They went from like $63 million at the Metrodome to over 100 on million a, on a regular basis. I think this just illustrates they're going to have to find ways in the margins to really outthink and outmaneuver the teams in the top 10, the teams like Washington uh, St. Louis is seventh in team valuation, but not nearly as high in payroll. Usually Cubs giants, Red Sox, Dodgers, Yankees, they're going to get the top pitchers on the free agent market. They're going to get the top hitters on the free agent market. They're going to, out-resource you in other ways. They're going to be able to eat bad contracts. Mm -hmm. Adrian Gonzalez is off to a bad start. He makes $20 million for the next couple years. Well, Cody Bellinger is now going to be a regular in that lineup It might replace someone who makes $20 million because the Dodgers can. Carl Crawford was in that same conversation. Yeah, I mean, the the Dodgers paid a couple years ago $90 million to players to go home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So can this new front office, better than the old Terry Ryan-led front office, can they operate within bottom half of the league payroll constraints, quote unquote, constraints? Because there is no salary cap, but um, that often spreads the rich from the poor way way more than the salary cap leagues do. Um, can they operate within those constraints and still outthink, outmaneuver, and defeat teams that spend more money? I think they can. Hmm. they are not going to in the short term necessarily because they need they need the processes and the systems in place to do it. But the Indians did it, and Derek Falvey came from that organization, so. There you have it. Huh. Yeah, they're going to have to
1: outthink that's for sure. I'm curious to know. This is a conversation for another podcast. What more do the Dodgers have to do to be <laughs> within a billion dollars of the Yankees? You know, legendary stadium, excellent TV deal, the ownership group that's now pushing the team much more than I think the McCourts were when they were uh running the show.
0: But isn't their TV deal? I know that it, the money's in the bank, but I think they only reach like 25% of Los Angeles or well, something. Well,
1: and that's a huge problem. That's not really up to them to solve. But isn't it like a Comcast dispute, right, that they have locally? There was the story last year that even Vin Scully can't watch Dodger games on his TV network. And maybe that's not up to them to fix. But like the franchise valuations – and I won't get into this, the financial because this is probably too boring for this – audience but like to be valued at more than three billion dollars if you're the yankees is absurd
0: the yankees you're, are also just a bigger brand than the sure. dodgers but they're the betting, yankees are much more of
1: a worldwide brand than the dodgers but are. if you are saying that they are worth three billion dollars you're betting on this sort of sports bubble that says like okay well as attention goes from on-demand viewing to netflix sports is going to be the only thing that you'll watch live commercials during and like maybe but yeah that's that's a pretty lofty bet over the next handful of years i we don't need to talk about that because that but i i do think that it's fair to say that the twins are not even operating and they're not even playing the same game as some of these financial giants there was somebody in the twins front office a couple of years ago that said you guys pay too much attention to the tv deal whatever there's there's money coming in yes and and everybody's getting it around the league but our deal doesn't like, it's not hand in hand. It doesn't correlate with how much we can spend on free agents. Yeah, how much yes, we can spend on team. And I, that's looked like <laughs> I looked at this. Blatantly false. I looked at this person and I said, Are you like lying to me or do we just disagree? Because I mean, so
0: if, if not that this needs justification, but if the Yankees and Dodgers are bringing in $200 million a year or more in local TV revenue and you're bringing in, I think the number is $29 million, and that deal might be up at some point in the next few years because it's like an eight year old deal. So. Usually those are like ten year contracts. Even if those teams are kicking into the to the revenue sharing pool, like yes, that You're that still helps and matters. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I I think you have to ask yourself as an organization, what is it that you do better than all the other teams? Well, the Yankees and Dodgers can always say spend. Sure, we spend better, but they can also now more and
1: more say we outthink, we outemploy. Yes, look at the New York Yankees. Go- if you're listening to this, Google uh, the Yankees team website and look at their front office and look at how many names are listed there. And, yes, some teams list them differently, so it's not going to appear on their website that they've got seven data scientists when the Twins have two. But, like, the size of the front office matters, and that's something that Milwaukee's gambling on right now. I think it's the motion of the front
0: office that matters personally, not the size. but It's how you use it. Yeah i'll show myself out thank you and
1: i'll just bring this one on home Uh, just like the the brewers are making a big bet on this uh under a you know a young gm manager tandem saying all right well we're not going to be able to outspend the dodgers we're feeling fairly confident that over the next decade the financial landscape is not going to skew in our favor in eastern wisconsin but If we have more people in an area where it's not, there's no like salary cap and other people aren't spending a prohibitive amount of money for you to enter this arena, which is analysis. Uh, It doesn't just have to be like stats nerds. I'm not just talking about that, but like whether it's computer programmers or extra scouts or – and some kind of uh, scouting system that you build out that other teams don't have and that becomes your unfair advantage Well, that's what the Brewers are betting on, for example. I think there are other teams that are building it out. uh, Cleveland's got a bigger front office than the Twins. I think you're going to see them build that out this year. But before I give you my four pitchers here for the fifth spot, I want to ask you, Phil, right now, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but if you had to say, like, pick right now that in five years we're going to be looking back on this five-year stretch of Twins baseball, what was the Twins' Unfair advantage. Like, what was their competitive edge that made even teams that out resourced them, like the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the White Sox, the Cubs? Why were those teams looking at the Twins and saying, "Huh? How are you competing with us? This is amazing." Well, I. So you're saying the next
0: five years? Yeah. What if you look back in
1: Derek Falvey's five years? uh The the first. It's like the first hundred days of president, right? The first five years <laughs> of a chief baseball officer. What yeah. are we going to say? Wow. Yeah, the Twins really were able to hustle on that shoestring budget.
0: I think it's going to have to be two things. I think the first thing, because you already have Byron Buxton and you see how good he is in the outfield, I think one of your unfair advantages, if you can keep him in the big leagues, is to just be better at converting fly balls into outs than every other team in baseball. Do what the Royals did when Lorenzo Cain and Alex Gordon were uh, you know, going to the World Series, yeah. Gerard Dyson... That's going to have to be one of your most unfair advantages because there's just not going to be that many outfielders with the talent and the speed and the uh, and the range and the route running of a Byron Buxton. So, but in terms of like front office and what your unfair advantage would be process-wise, I don't know how you do this better than front offices like the Red Sox and the Cubs, which have more money, more resources, mm-hmm. and a head start on you. But it almost has to be turning non-top blue-chip pitching prospects into serviceable or high-end contributors at the big league level. Can you do what Cleveland did with Cody Allen, with Corey Kluber? We've we've talked about those narratives a lot on this show. Um, How do you do that better than the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Cubs? Some of it might just be luck that you put yourself on that level and then hope that you get a little luckier with injuries. And maybe that's another one. Maybe you can just be better at... Health. Can you be twenty percent better at preventing or shortening uh, missed time due to injury? Can you out-health the other teams? Yeah, it's I a mean, battle of attrition. Can, My you, can question, you win that compared to the other twenty nine?
1: I I love what you said about the pitching thing. You take a guy who wasn't going to be—I mean, he was going to be a fifth starter—and turn him into a mid-rotation guy. Take a mid-rotation guy and make him a top-end starter. Take a top-end starter and make him an ace. And then you got three aces, and life is good. <laughs> you know, it's not easy. And I'm wondering, did Cleveland get lucky? Or is that a replicable formula? And if it is, is Derek Valvey really going to be the only person who leaves that front office, runs another team? No. There are going to be other teams. If that's a replicable formula, if it's something you can bottle and sell, there are going to be five people from Cleveland's front office one day running other teams, and they're going to all have the blueprint. And then guess what? People are going to leave from those teams and go to. It's not a sustainable kind of thing, but if it's the next wave where you get ahead, then great. And now you're ahead. And then you're starting the race from a different position, and you're ready for the next wave. I think it's either health or it's pitching, and it's probably got to be both if you're the twins. And I, I don't know if they're going to be good at it. We'll wait and see. That's what I'm on this ride for, to try to figure out if they're going to be good at that. I mean, I'd say the early signs are positive, but we're way, way too early to, yeah, to be yeah. able to know. I, I don't i don't know if that's going to be an unfair advantage, Ed. And if it is, how long it'll last yeah
0: it's and it's not it's it's going to be really hard to glean any of that in two thousand and seventeen. you sure. might think that oh Tyler Duffy looks good in the bullpen right now, let's see in august September full body of work, let's see some of these starting pitching is going to be the most important thing, which is a good segue um the twins have man they're starting rotation right now, urban santana you trust yeah. Hector Santiago off to a good start, not necessarily sustainably good over the course of six months sure, uh, but historically, a good start. yep. Put him in the bank. Phil Hughes, a lot of man. There's been some bailouts with some great outfield defense. Was, Three wins, was man. you good. What you're about. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Need to see more. The velocity's not there. He's kind of. We were talking to our colleague Patrick Roycey earlier today off microphone that he's sort of reinventing himself yeah. as as more of a junk ball right handed pitcher because he's not throwing 93 miles an hour anymore. But yeah. they have a four man rotation right now. Uh, Bert Mejia, I call him Bert, got know, sent down. On that they may bring him back, but. If they don't bring Jose Barrios up, um, which might be on your list, and I I think he stays down for at least a couple more starts, I don't think you see him up next week. That's my my personal feeling. Um, Who else right now has a shot to at least Mm -hmm. get a shot or has a shot to be competent as a starting pitcher on or off their 40, man. Well, I got four
1: names for you, and you already burned two of them, so thank you, Thunder wow. Steeler Mackey. How about
0: that? I'm just trying to speed things along here. <laughs> That's
1: right. right. important what, places to be.
0: Wetmore, you get long-winded with your
1: points. You just get on with it. Um, I agree with you. But I think so, Barrios, uh they are going to be patient with Borreos. I don't think you'll see him on May 6th necessarily, which is the first time that they'll probably need a fifth starter. Although, if the other options go down... There's no justification for keeping him in the minor leagues if he's still dominating. Eventually, he's going to have to learn to compete against big league competition. So he's he's on my list. The other one you already mentioned, Mejia. He got sent out because they aren't going to need five starters, and he had three bad starts. So see you later. We're, we were going to skip your next turn anyway. But unlike the old twins, who might have kept Mejia on the roster for 10 days and skipped a start and let him throw a side session... The Twins were like, no, 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 hold on. We need that roster spot. You go to Rochester. We're going to skip your next two starts anyway. Go start for the Red Wings twice. Get your fastball back. If you can have your command and you're controlling both sides of the plate like we haven't seen yet this year but we saw in spring training, fine. You're plugged back into your spot. Congratulations, you earned it. Instead of saying, well, okay, it sucks that we're burning a roster spot on this pitcher who won't throw for 15 days, but what are you going to do? Oh, that's what you're going to do. You're going to be proactive. You're going to mm-hmm. take his roster spot, give it to somebody else who deserves it, yeah, tack, skip him in the rotation, and make squad. him, exa- yeah. make him earn his spot back. So he's number two on the list. You got Barreos. You got Roberto Mejia. I call him Roberto. Hey, you like bird? That's
0: because you like <laughs> long-winded things. That's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's keeping
1: very much in keeping with the motif here. Uh, number three would be Nick Tepes. He just got called up. He's going to be a long reliever. But in Rochester, he was a starter, and he had just as good of a start to the season as Boreos. His minor now, league now numbers— He's like
0: 28,
1: I mean, yeah, right? he's, I mean, he's, he's not a prospect. It's not like you look at him and you say he's one of their top three pitching prospects. He's a guy who was brought in on a minor league deal, and if he has some success this season and eats some innings for you, good for you. You just, like, you just got excess value over what you should have expected from a guy like Tepish. I mean, guys don't become available minor league free agents. Who have a ton of promise to other teams. Like if like if Kyle Gibson got DFA'd right now, some team
0: would claim him, but they're not expecting him to lead their rotation. He is the second coming, not to keep dumping on Kyle Gibson here, but no, he, you he, love
1: dumping on Kyle Gibson. And
0: I, and I think he's an awesome guy, and I feel like I've had a good relationship with Kyle in the past. Sure. I just he has become the second coming of Nick Blackburn, where he gave you a couple promising seasons. A lot of innings, uh, a lot of pitch to contact that worked out well, maybe early on the first couple of years, but just not enough missed bats. Uh, the league sort of figures you out yeah. if you're if you're not overpowering with your stuff, and it's I just the only difference is they gave Nick Blackburn a long-term contract extension right. after that second year, and he never got back to to competent pitching.
1: Probably looking at the wrong metrics when they signed him to that extension. They're not going to do that with
0: Gibson, obviously.
1: Um, but it's weird. Gibson actually is missing more bats right now. His swing and strike rate's up over 10%, but he's not throwing enough strikes. And when you have a short start every time out and you also give up at least one home run, that's not a formula for sustained success over 30 starts. So if he keeps pitching like this, he won't get 30 starts. But um, it's it's been a little surprising because they liked him in spring training. He had a good spring, and there was some talk of, well, maybe new mechanics are freeing him up and we'll keep him healthy. Boy, early return's not very positive on Gibson. In fact, you might look to take two of these guys on my list and plug them into the rotation so you can bump Gibson out if he keeps pitching like this. Did
0: you give us your fourth?
1: No, my fourth is, uh, so it's Borails, Mejia take his job back, Nick Teppish, and then this is the one that I wouldn't do, but I've been told the Twins are considering. Tyler
0: Duffy. Yeah, I wouldn't do that either. Now, Torii Hunter from... said that on the broadcast too. He would just keep him in the bullpen, and dude,
1: but it works in the bullpen.
0: He throws a little harder. He can use emotion, which I think factors in more as a reliever. Get really fired up for one inning and throw harder, and uh, use your wipeout breaking ball. Which, which hitters, you know, if they only get one look at it in a game, right. maybe you can fool them. If they That's get a second exactly or a third it. look. I don't think he has the pitch repertoire or the stuff outside that breaking ball to be a successful starter. No. So why not let him develop into a rock-solid 7th or 8th inning guy, start that process right now, and don't let off the gas?
1: I think that he's been so successful there that it'd be a mistake. Now, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because last year I said, Trevor May's so good in the bullpen, you should make him a starter. Different pitcher to me. Trevor May's got four pitches, he's got easier velocity than Duffy and whereas Duffy relies on the one haymaker which is the curveball may get swinging strikes on basically all four of those pitches and the fastballs plus in my opinion and to me Duffy just isn't that guy like he's going to be a good reliever just leave it alone but I think there's a much lower percentage chance that he turns into a good starter because here's the other thing and you kind of alluded to it but I just want to spell it out pretty clearly here when you're a starting pitcher and you've got basically two pitches And you know what your hammer is. It's the curveball. Okay, I get a guy to two. My goal here is to get ahead of you, get you to two strikes, because then I think I got you. I'm throwing the curveball. You're done. Other starting pitchers, uh, Phil Hughes comes to mind. Kind of like they know they have a strikeout weapon, but they can go to other things. Like Irvin Santana is a bit of an anomaly where he can just, okay, you got two strikes, and I've got my slider left. See ya. Sit down. Most pitchers don't have that luxury, and mm-hmm. now Tyler Duffy was trying to do that as a starter, and it didn't work out because when you lose the fastball command and all you've got is the curveball,
0: well, well yeah, now they're,
1: suddenly they're sitting on the curveball, yeah. and if it's not a strike, they're just taking it because they're big league hitters, or and now you're just, behind.
0: Or if they, if, if you don't have a plus fastball, which right. as a starter, I don't think he throw, throws like no, 90 No, and there's not a ton of movement on it. They'll just ignore your breaking ball and right. wait for a fastball. And so. if
1: you're a, if you're a starting pitcher and you know you're going to have to face this guy three times, you might not show him the curveball in the first at-bat because you're thinking, well, okay, I want to save that. I want to have this knockout punch in my back pocket for later, so I'll give him a little jab to the chin and see if I can get him out that way, get him to ground out in his first at-bat because, ha, now I got you, and if I need you with runners on and I need to strike you out later in the game, I know I can still go back to that curveball. As a reliever, totally different ball game. You can come up. You're going to face this guy once, and then you're going to face his buddy standing behind him, and the buddy standing behind him. And you can show all three of those guys a curveball on the first pitch if you want to. You can just knock them out with that, Duffy. I think I like your point on how the fastball plays up a little bit. But the bigger thing is he doesn't have to hide the curveball. He can go after them, use it as a weapon. And that's why I think it's different. Why last year I advocated, okay, Trevor made good reliever, make him a starter. And now I'm saying, Okay, Tyler Duffy, good early returns in the bullpen, leave it alone. Actually,
0: one of your main missions this year could be just back to you know, what what do you do best or uh what do you want to ac- accomplish this year if you're Derek Falvey Thad Levine, go find from now until the end of the season, four or five really good reliable relievers. Sure. And maybe there's some guys in the minors like like Nicholas Birdie, who I believe is off to a really good start in the minors, striking out like hmm. Okay. Uh, 13, 14 batters per nine. That, I checked that last a few days ago, so don't quote me on that. But, yeah, come out of this season pretty much knowing what the core of your bullpen is going to be in 2017 sure. and beyond, or 2018 and beyond.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a, it's viable. I mean, and it's way, 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 way too early to make any of these, because who knows? Maybe Tyler Duffy blows up and he's not on that list. Maybe Ryan Presley goes back to being good Ryan Presley, and he's one of those guys. Maybe Brandon Kinsler gets traded. Like, it's entirely possible that this unit will be shaken up twice over throughout the rest of the season, but I like that approach. I like going into next season, figuring out what you got, and then, hey, if you're expecting to be more competitive next year, go ahead and spend some money. You're allowed to spend money on relievers. You don't have to just sign a Matt Belisle. So, their bullpen could look very different next year. Um, I don't know if it'll be their unfair advantage because you got teams out there with the three-headed monster. <laughs> like Just leagues above the Twins in terms of shut down the end of games. But
0: it's, it's a valid aspiration. Uh, homework assignment for us next week coming up with our unfair advantage for this podcast compared to other Twins podcasts. Can, I, I may need two weeks for that.